Okay, Acts chapter 2, 1 to 41. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And tongues like flames of fire that were divided appeared to them and rested on each one of them. (coughs) Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages, as the Spirit gave them ability for speech. There were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were astonished and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all those speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who lived in Mesopotamia, in Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking the magnificent acts of God in our own languages. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this be? But some sneered and said, they're full of new wine. But Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and proclaimed to them, men of Judah and all you residents of Jerusalem, Let me explain this to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my male and female slaves in those days, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and remarkable day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words. This Jesus the Nazarene was a man pointed out to you by God with miracles, wonders and signs that God did among you through him, just as yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says of him... I saw the Lord ever before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not leave me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He's both dead and buried, and in his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on on his throne. Seeing this in advance, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not left in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God has resurrected this Jesus, 
We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they came under deep conviction and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what must we do? Repent, Peter said to them, and be baptised, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptised, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Uh, you've got an outline, got your Bibles open, and we're going to think about this. And uh, hopefully lots of good stuff to uh, chat about. We're having a, uh, a great time at camp. I've got a, oh, did you, did you saw a little one of the kids? Oh, yeah, it was fun. Lots and lots of fun. And a great speaker. Let's just uh, pray now that God would uh, touch our hearts and speak to us. Our loving Heavenly Father, again, uh, as we come to your word, we ask that you would help us to be people who don't just watch what other people do in worship, we pray that we are not just people who just look on and people look to us and they can't see our commitment, but, Lord, that we would be people who are praising you and are worshipping you and are listening to you and that people around us can hear that we do love you and follow you and trust you. And so, Lord, uh, help us to be people uh, who just love you and speak to us through your word and help us uh, even today to grow more in our love for you and in our desire to please you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we all need God to speak to our hearts. We all need God's word uh, in our mother tongues, in our uh, languages that we grew up uh, grew, grew up with. Most of us uh, uh, know uh, that, um, uh, 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 that, that when missionaries go out around the world, one of their first jobs is to try and translate the Bible into the language of the people they're trying to help. Because nothing touches your heart more than hearing it in your own language, the one that you grew up with. Um, uh, uh, and sometimes I think we forget that to, to, to have this English Bible in front of us, that people died to give it to us died tragically to give it to us so that we could have it, that people worked against you having it in your own language so that you could listen to God yourself, so that you could understand, so you could check, so that you could, you know, have it in your own language. Um, and it's so important and different things remind us of that great privilege. And I hope you're not wasting that privilege and, you know, because this is how God comes to you through his word. But one of the, the great examples for me is one of my... Uh, uh, one of uh, my dear friends, I'll say, is uh, from 8.30 services, Anita Duddick. 
She came from Germany when she was a little girl after the war for lots of terrible reasons, and uh, she ended up here. Uh, but, you know, whenever you sort of uh, talk to Anita about the Lord and she starts trying to explain, you know, her love for the Lord Jesus, she'll always start speaking in a language that has lots of... <laughs> and out she comes, and then she translates it into English. You know, she goes to the German, into English, out she comes, and, you, you know, that's how she expresses her relationship. And I love at Christmas time, I often try to uh, go over the other side near her when Christmas carols are being sung because she always sings Silent Night in German and she does it with her hand on her heart. You know, it's just such a moving thing for her. And that's because she just love, you, you know, you love, you know, her, her, her love of the Lord was nurtured uh, in Germany. And then she comes out here and that's her language and she's learned English and all that to survive. But, you know, she goes back and, and her connection to God is connected uh, to her German language. And so we all need God to speak to our hearts. But how does he speak to our hearts? He speaks through his word, uh, but he speaks in a way that's got to be more than words. It's got to get into our hearts and into our lives, uh, into our minds. And the way that he does that is by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be talking about that more as we look at uh, this particular passage and look at how God gets his word into us and how it works. Uh, well, um, the way that the first starts is we do have to understand the very first verse, 2 verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, that Israel, God's people, had a series of festivals that, that made their, their yearly calendar go around. And these festivals were a mixture of remembering that God was good to them or to remember things that God had done or promises that he had made. And these just kept going in year in, year out to teach them about God. But all of them had a, a deeper spiritual meaning that was symbolic of something else. And so there were seven main feasts or festivals that happened during the year, four of them major, and, uh, and, and Pentecost is one of them. The first one that they sort of had was the, 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 the Feast of Passover, uh, which was remember that they are miraculous people. They were in slavery, but God acted on their behalf. He saved them. He brought them out miraculously. And so to be a people of God is to be miraculously saved by the intervention of God. It was particularly to remind them that he used a very silly way of saving them, that there was the, the blood of a lamb or a little goat that was killed and put on the doorposts to remind them that those who trusted in what God provided to save them, and so they remember they were miraculous through the way that God saved, and of course, ultimately, it speaks of Jesus who comes and says, I'm the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, basically, and then he turns the Passover into the, into the Lord's Supper to keep reminding us that we if we are a Christian, it's a miraculous thing that he has done through what Jesus has done, not what we have done, not by being good, but by trusting him. That was Passover, which led into the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which reminded them that they didn't have time to put the yeast in their bread and to make their bread rise. And so that ends up in the Bible being a reminder of leaven ends up being corruption. The yeast gets used that way. And it ends up pointing that Jesus lived a sinless life. So the person who was going to sacrificed himself to save God's people needed to be a, uh, uh, an innocent person who hadn't sinned. And so that's what the Feast of Unleavened Bread pointed to. 
Then there was the Feast of First Fruits. Uh, that was when the harvest just started. They would get the first uh, bit of the crop and they would offer that to God and they would celebrate that God is the God who provides. Uh, this ends up pointing to the resurrection. And so Jesus will say uh, that he is the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead. He's the first one to be raised. And so there's going to be a lot of other people risen from the dead, saved. God's going to have a lot of people. And so the Feast of First Fruits pointed to that. And then you got to the Feast of Pentecost, which was when the whole harvest came in and then you would really party. And that ends up, uh, it ended up called Pentecost because it was seven, or weeks, or pen, weeks or Pentecost because it was seven weeks after the unleavened bread or 50, 49 days or seven weeks. But on the 50th day, Pente, uh, so that's where you get Pentecost from, they would celebrate the harvest. Um, the harvest was always about how God provided and God was looking after his people. And ultimately, there is a harvest of people around the whole world that God was going to save through uh, the Holy Spirit who is going to pour out. And so Jesus will say, the workers are few, but the harvest is plentiful. Pray for God that we will open our mouth to call in that God's is saving, who God is saving from around the world. Uh, and so that's the, the symbol. That's where it's happening. This is God going out to the world. The Spirit is coming. People are going to be saved. Now... Uh, uh, most of us have memories around food. Uh, one of my great memories is around baked dinner. Whenever I smell baked dinner, I think of family. I think of Sunday afternoons. It doesn't happen then very often anymore, but then I think of a kid growing up. I think of how warm it is. I think of family together. I just I smell baked dinner and I just feel happy and comfortable and warm. Uh, whenever I have a sausage sandwich, uh, I think of rugby, football fields, rub, cut grass, smelly bodies. Uh, whenever I eat red skin lollies, I think of Maryland's pool because whenever I went to the swimming pool, I would buy red skins because they were cheap and you could make them last a long time. Um, uh, uh, whenever I eat Chinese salty plums, uh, I, remember of New, I remember New Guinea. I lived there for two years and I learnt those. And whenever I eat KFC, I have two memories. One is of pre who every joke is about eating KFC. But I remember the very first store opening in Maryland's. And John and I were probably there enjoying the very first KFC when it came out. Good memories. You know, that was exciting. And God attaches memories to food. Uh, you know, foods that remind us of things and in a series and seasons and festivals to remind us that he is good. And the really, he's really focused it all down to one main reminder, and that is the Lord's Supper that we are to keep remembering that we are a miraculous people who only get in through what Jesus has done. You know, so every time you eat the bread and drink the juice or a little bit of wine, remember how much he loves us and what he has done for us. Uh, keep remembering it. But at the same time, as we remember Pentecost and the start of the new covenant, uh, the last stage of what God is doing, what we are to remember is the birthday of the church. This is when God really started reaching out to the nations. Uh, Israel had failed. Israel uh, was supposed to be so attractive that the nations would have come to them to learn about the God, to get connected to the real God. But they live such hip, hypocr sorry, hypocritical, terrible, put-off lives that people were put off from God. Uh, they went away from God. No one were getting saved through them. They were so unattractive because in the end, they'd say one thing, do another, and they ended up bringing in the curses of God rather than the blessings of God. Uh, but God always knew that they would ultimately reject and he had the promise uh, that he would send his spirit 
so that people now would go out to the world rather than come into Israel. He would gather his people around Christ and send them out to the world to gather in his people from all the way around. And so what we have here in Pentecost and in what we're seeing is the beginning of the end stage, the last days, the last bit of God's plan for how he's going to bring in people from all nations. Between now, when Jesus ascended, uh, and the Spirit's given to when Jesus returns. So what happened? Uh, let's remind ourselves. So what happened? There was, so- sight, there was sound and sight, verse 2 and 3. Uh, what did they hear? They heard a loud wind. What did they see? Tongues of fire literally falling on the 120 people. What did this mean? It meant that God was doing something. This is not normal. You know, for there to be wind, sound of wind without wind, and for there to be tongues of fire falling on people's heads. This is not normal. This is God doing something. Wind symbolises a spirit. The spirit is here in an unbelievably powerful way. God the spirit is here. And tongues of fire, he's going to speak. They're going to speak. There's going to be people who speak for God. And it's going to be about speaking a message, the message of God to the world. And fire, it's going to be a powerful, effective thing. Like at camp, you can't find the kids, you can't gather the blokes and man cub, just light a fire. They come like flies and they all sit around the fire poking it and playing with it, telling everyone not to. That's what happens. It's magic. Fire is magic. Great effect for bringing blokes together uh, and the kids. And so, and so here it is. God has done this sound and light symbolically of what God's doing. And the focus is on tongues, verse 4. Uh, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave them ability. And so it is focused down onto the speaking, the speaking of what God wants to be said. And the miracle is seen in verse 6. The miracle, when the sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And so here what we have is the miracle is that people are all hearing, and we'll hear a little bit, remind yourself a little bit later when I read it, that they're hearing about the glories of God. They're all hearing it in their own language from people who didn't learn it all at the same time in a loud, noisy way from these people. Um, now, first thing we need to, 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 to take note is that everyone could understand what's happening. That there's a modern thought that, you know, you're not saved unless you speak in tongues and these tongues are going to be something that no one understands and someone's got to work it out for you. Uh, but it's actually other languages when you read the Bible. They understand it. If they're speaking a language that someone else understands uh, is what's happening. And so very different to what people call tongue speaking today. Um, it, it's also really important to notice how this is the opposite of what happened in Babel. Whether it's meant to be a fulfilment of that or not, you can't help but notice that when uh, you know, the sin was built up to its peak in the Bible, is in, in, in Genesis 11, what happens is all the people are gathered in their opposition against God. We don't need you. We can rule ourselves. And what does God do to judgment? He, he judges them. He, he split, spreads them out and gives them different languages. And there we have the base of the different languages around the world. He splits them so they can't get together. They can't be together. They're not united. But now what's happening is the nations are being united together through the Spirit of God. 
He's now bringing them all together. They can all hear God's praises. They're all invited. They're all being brought in. Uh, very important to notice uh, that, that the Holy Spirit is a uniting God, a bringing in God, a gathering God. Um, uh, he unites us uh, through the Spirit, as we focus on Jesus, we'll get to. The crowd, verse 7 to 13, they're astounded and amazed at what they hear. We're all hearing it in all these different languages. Wow, what's happening here? What is this about? And they really don't know what to do. You've really, it's, you've really got two sort of implications here. It's either God uh, and they've got to think of something else. So the best they can think of, they're all drunk. And so you got there, what could this be? But some sneered and said, they're full of new wine. The crowd's astounded. They know something weird's happening. They've got, they've got to explain it some way. And the cynical ones are saying it's alcohol. But you, you've got to say something about that, really. I just want you to know the last time that you got around some drunk people, uh, did they speak in other languages that they'd never learnt? And were they praising God? And were they calling you to follow God and give your life to him? Okay, yeah, okay, we've just solved that one. They weren't drunk, it's God. He's symbolising what he's doing to call people in. And uh, so we need to have it explained. And so what happens is we have the explanation, verse 14 to 21. Uh, Peter gets up and he says, let me explain this to you. And what he does is he says, this is in fulfilment of the Bible, e.g. Joel. And he lists the things that prophets did. Everyone's going to profit. Everyone's going to become a prophet. Everyone's going to speak for God. In the last days when God pours out his spirit, everyone is going to be a prophet. Everyone is going to speak for God. This is what he promised. This is what the spirit of God would do. Uh, he takes people, he changes them, and they speak for him, they live for him, they all, it's just a way of saying everyone will be a prophet. Now, not special people, everyone will have God, uh, God's spirit on them and in them and they will speak for him. Their hearts will be changed. Uh, you've got to realise that this is just another way of saying what God told us is going to happen, I think in clearer ways, in a way, in, verse, in, in like Ezekiel 36, God says... I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. God's going to change people's heart by the spirit. He's going to move into their lives so that they can live for him and he will cause us to want to obey. He will deal with our opposition so we are not opposed to him anymore. God will do this when the Spirit comes through the message about the Lord Jesus. And this is one of the things that's a bit of a shock here. Um, uh, so we get told it's the Spirit and then when Peter gets up to explain it, what he does is he talks about Jesus. This is the Spirit, and then he explains Jesus. Verse 22, Jesus was a man accredited to you by miracles, signs and wonders. As you all know, you all you experienced it, or you know someone who experienced it, you all know. He, he's talking about Jesus. He was handed over to you. You killed him. 
You used evil men to kill him, but what God did was he raised him from the dead because it was impossible for him to stay dead because he was innocent, because he's the son of God, and because this is God's plan. It was always going to happen. This was how he was going to release the Spirit or bring in the age of the Spirit so that people can be forgiven through what Jesus has done on the cross so that we uh, will have a changed heart to God and not rebel against him but actually have a heart that loves him and wants to follow him. And so uh, he wants us to know from 32 to 36 that God has resurrected Jesus. We're all witnesses and he has been exalted. He's been lifted on high. And what you are seeing today is the spirit poured out, which is what God promised would happen through the Messiah, through the Christ who would come and fix our problem with God. And so uh, verse 36 he actually tells us the conclusion. Therefore, let all of the house of Israel know with certainty that God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. That's the conclusion. This is the one. The way you treat Jesus is the way you treat God. He's the one. He's the one who has your forgiveness in his hands. He's the one that you have to respond to. And then 37 to 41 is what we have to do. 37, when they heard this, they came under deep conviction and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what must we do? Repent, Peter said to them, and be baptised, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children, for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And about 3,000 added. So God has made Jesus Lord and Christ. He is the King. He is the Saviour. Uh, he is God in the flesh. He is the One. And therefore, we need to respond to him. And as we explain, as he explains the Spirit... He talks about Jesus. The Spirit will always be on about Jesus, will always be focusing on his death and resurrection, will always be calling people uh, to respond to him. Repent is stop your opposition to his rule in your life. Stop opposing him. That's what repent is. Repent is stop doing what you want, start doing what he wants. Stop opposing him. What does Jesus want me to do? What does Jesus want me to think? Well, how does Jesus want me to think about this issue or that issue? Whether I like it or don't like it, that is, I stop opposing him. I work out what it is he's saying and I don't oppose it. Uh, that is the work of the Spirit. He stops us opposing Jesus. Uh, he helps us to see that Jesus is the only hope for us to get into heaven the only hope for us to get accepted by God. He's our only hope in his death and his uh, sacrificial death for us as our representative and our substitute. That is the only way that anyone will be in heaven. So repent, stop opposing him. Baptism, line up with his forgiveness. Line up with him publicly. His Baptism symbolises two main things. One, dead before God without Jesus. Stop opposing Jesus. Trust Jesus. You are made alive. Dirty with God, unforgiven, 
with Jesus, washed clean, clean, forgiven. Stop opposing him, publicly line up with him for the one who will get you in. What he did gets you in. Stop opposing, repent, line up with him publicly. Seven people tonight are going to be standing up saying how he has worked in their lives. How did it happen? The Holy Spirit used the Word of God. Nothing happens without the Word of God. We don't get saved without the Word of God. We don't grow without the Word of God. We don't keep going without the Word of God. The Spirit uses the Word of God. We hear the Word of God. He convicts us of our sin and that we won't make it to heaven. We're not good enough and we don't believe enough and we're not religious enough and none of that actually works. We need Jesus. He convicts us to go to Jesus and stop opposing him, stop opposing his rule in our life and to call out on him for mercy and to publicly line up with him. Imagine what it's like for these 3,000. Though the Bible is a little bit sexist, the culturally, and so the 3,000 is probably 3,000 men 3,000 men and then 3,000 women and how many kids they were popping out at the time could have been 12,000. You imagine if 12,000 sort of joined a church, everyone ready to run Sunday school next week? You know, you imagine what that's like. They all popped out, but that, that's what he did. It's, he, God, by his spirit, changed the hearts and they stood up publicly and all their friends and they could say, say, hey, Chris, I saw you last week. You stood up. You said you're with that Jesus bloke. You know, it's public. I publicly line up with him and people know and I'm trusting him to save me and I've stopped opposing Jesus. And as we live that life, God uses that to attract people, to hear what we have to say as we talk about Jesus and that's how he saves people and that's what we see as the book of Acts goes on. So I have to say one thing to you just to finish up and that is what we really have to say. That is... Has God changed your heart so that you are not opposing Jesus' rule in your life? Have you seen your need for his forgiveness? Do you realise how much he loves you and went to the cross so that you don't get what you deserve? But if your heart is not changed and you just sit in church and watch and you don't participate or you pretend that you don't love him and you don't obey him when you walk out of here and you don't praise him and you don't really pray to him, then you don't have the spirit and you can't do anything about it. So you say, God, please have mercy. Change my heart. Please change my heart. And he's a good God. And he's a kind God. And stop opposing Jesus. And ask him for that forgiveness which he loves to give to you. May we be people who notice that we need the Spirit and we need God to do it. He's gathering people from all the nations, men, women, young, old, every class. He's always joining us together. Add more, doesn't matter who they are. And notice the last line that what happens is God takes our sin, he gives it to Jesus. On the cross, he nails Greg's sin and he says, Greg, everything you've done, everything you've done in the present, everything you'll do in the future, forgiven. It's nailed onto the cross, believe it. And he gives us the Holy Spirit 
to change our hearts so that we will be living for him. God takes our sin, he gives us the Holy Spirit and he joins us to the church. Please worry about people who say they know him and love him and Jesus hasn't joined them to his people. Amen.